0: Turning around your troubled IT department is a difficult topic for some people because it requires you to admit that you have trouble in your IT department. And and not everyone wants to do that. But the truth is that most of us don't have a perfectly well-oiled IT department. And at the very least, there are things that you can fix. And I hope to give you some insight along the way about what some of those things are. Uh, We'll talk about why IT departments struggle, how to assess your current performance in your department and and what can you do to lead the change towards a better performing department. But before that I should say a few words about who we are and why we're qualified to talk about IT turnarounds. MedSphere is a leader of affordable and interoperable healthcare information technology solutions and services. And the services division, the Phoenix Health Division, which shows up in the lower left of the right of the screen here, uh, is where we you know, in addition to all of the products that we provide, where we deal with uh, individual hospitals, other healthcare clients, and their IT departments, and how, how they can get the most bang for their IT buck. Now, Phoenix uh, Phoenix Health, people always ask me, oh, well, you're located in Phoenix, are you? And, and the answer is no. Uh, we're the other Phoenix. We're the firebird rising from the ashes, you know, the, the immortal firebird. Um, and that rising from the ashes uh, really describes how our business got started, because it really did get started in the IT department, turnaround business. Um, and most of what we do today uh, is... One variation of, of either turning the department around, or you know coming in to do a complicated subject like um, EHR install, which which you want you know obviously well qualified people to do. But beyond that, most of our business, in some fashion or other, is a, is a turnaround, and so we've been doing this for a very long time. Uh, uh, Phoenix has been in business at some time in the late 80s. Um, I've worked for Phoenix off and on since the late 90s. And turning around IT departments has been a key part of that the entire time. So, obviously, if, if that's our business, then IT departments must be struggling. And the question is, well, why are they struggling? And and the first answer, and it sounds glib of me, forgive me, but it's because IT is hard. Uh, technology is moving at a rapid pace, and that pace of change you know, is ever-increasing. Not only is technology rising, but expectations are rising as well. And I think most of us have had an interaction with a doctor who tells us, well, I don't have to do this at uh, Johnson City Hospital down the road. When I practice there, it's done for me. Uh, So their expectations are, or they've come right out of an academic medical center, which has every possible electronic doodad and gizmo and then it's like, well, why can't I have these here in our critical access hospital? So expectations are rising. Uh, Why a wide range of skills? If you think about what you do in IT these days, you've know you got the regular sort of PC stuff, your desktop support. You've got network stuff. You've got um, virtual servers and desktops, uh, which is often a very different skill set. You've got applications folks. You've got straight-on management folks. There's a lot of skills required to operate a hospital's IT department. And the fact that you may be in a small facility doesn't make this any better. It doesn't make the skill set any narrower. It just means you have fewer people to do it with. Security issues. Everything you hear when you go out and read industry literature today is about security We're worried about ransomware. Um, And that's partly a response to Security being given a back burner for a while, and now, you know, it's bubbled back to the forefront. But that is also, you know, a particular skill set, which, again, you know, you have to have no matter the size of your organization. And another thing that I find that organizations have a problem with is a previous implementation. Uh, We'll call them impaired implementations, Uh, a scenario where perhaps a software wasn't fully implemented, how many times have you heard, well, we'll do that interface in phase two. And, of course, that never happens. Uh, or, well, we just want it to look like the old system, which means that some choices were made that might not be ideal for the software you're now using, um, and that ends up being a problem. So previous implementations, if they're not taken care of, are often time things, and they take us away from uh, the more core areas of our business, um, we have talent issues. Again, we talked about the broad base of skill sets you need. It means you need a broad base of skills in your people. Uh, if you're a smaller hospital, this might even be particularly more acute because you have need less than one of a certain kind of skill you might need um you know a virtual machine expert to get your servers all set up and virtualized and your virtual desktops printing in the right locations and all of those things but once they're done you don't need a full time virtual machine expert but there will be times when you need them um you may not need a full time security expert but there will be you know things for that person to do so being small is not helpful in this regard the IT pressures are even higher on a smaller hospital um, just like, uh, the rapid change in technology affecting our departments, it affects our people. Uh, there's a continual need to learn new skill sets. Um, and, Quite frankly, a limited number of employees to learn those skill sets, particularly so in a rural area where you might have fewer people, um, you know, to choose from. We do on the plus have, uh, you know, much greater ability today than a few years ago to utilize remote employees. But, but on the whole, you know, most hospitals are faced with a limited number of people, particularly because except in the network desktop area, you know, we want our applications analysts to know our applications, which means we have to hire them out of healthcare. And that's a limited talent. Um, and finally, IT is not a hospital's core expertise. Uh, it, you know, it's n- Nursing care is a hospital's key expertise. And I perfectly can count on my human resources department in the hospital to find me new nurses. But finding me a new network guy is going to be a little bit more difficult because A, they don't know where to find network guys and B, they don't speak network. So it can always be a challenge you know in a hospital to get the right resumes you know for you to choose a good network guy and we struggle with money Uh, The IT department, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago, got really complicated when Meaningful Use came along, and we rapidly um, implemented Meaningful Use-compliant electronic health records. Uh, We suddenly added a huge chunk of complexity to what we're doing, uh, in many cases without a huge chunk of budget to support it in the long term. Our practitioners have high expectations. Uh, Again, our practitioners who come out of an academic medical center where they've had everything want to know why your one and a half FTEs in this small critical access hospital can't give them the same level of tools. Uh, We're facing salary pressure. Um, the we all know that salaries are going up around the industry, uh, and that certainly gives folks who feel like they would like more money the opportunity to go out and find a different job, perhaps working remotely. Um, and in doing so, you know, put pressure on you to either raise salaries to, take, to keep place or potentially lose folks. So that salary pressure is a money problem. Um, most of us have faced COVID budgets. Uh, budgets where you know for six months or a year, your hospital did less outpatient surgeries, which are a huge money maker for the hospital. And so now we don't have that huge amount of money, and and so it means we can't spend it in IT. So COVID has impacted our budgets, and the struggle we always have with things like infrastructure, backups, and security—those things just aren't sexy. Uh, people don't want to spend money on them because what what, what I get for it? Well, the answer, of course, what you get for it is you don't get the big bill later when things go bad, but that's a whole lot harder to demonstrate value. You know, it's, it's, it's rather like putting money in the walls when you're renovating a house. It's like, I'm doing a lot of work, but I'm not seeing it. Um, and, and so that's a challenge we all face. Um, so if you've got an IT department, um, and if you're listening to this, you probably already believe that your department has some issues and you want to assess those. So I'm going to give you some ideas of how to do that. By no means do I think this is an exclusive set of ideas. I'm certainly not giving you a complete checklist to assess your department so that you'll know everything that's wrong with it. Uh, just some ideas that will get you closer to the idea of, well, are we struggling? And I want to talk about that in the context of our people, our processes, and our profit. Now, some of you may cringe a little, world profits, you know, we're a non-profit hospital, we're not into making money. Well, you're still doing money-related processes. You still have budgets, and you're still getting the most you can out of them, and so we'll put the money stuff in there, people, processes, and profit. So how do you evaluate your people? So question one is, does your team really have the skill sets they need to do their jobs? Or, in some cases, are we making do? Does something become John's problem because he's the closest we have to what we need? Do you regularly invest in training your team? Uh, There'll be times, oh, we're going to put in a new radiology system. We send folks off to school before we put that in. Well, that's great. But is that part of the regular budget? Do you regularly invest in your folks um, to bring them up to speed? Do your team members participate in HIMSS or or another appropriate industry group? Perhaps your finance folks might participate in HFMA. Um, Because if they do, they're learning a broader set of ideas that they could bring back to the organization. I would suggest that if you don't have team members participating in some groups, that you support them in doing that. Are your salaries keeping pace? If you aren't, then your good folks will go somewhere else. And your less-than-good folks will stay put. And your organization will be much less successful. I'm going to ask two hard questions that perhaps might get, uh, if you could just ask these two, might really give you the answer on how you're doing with your people. Question one is, if you had to rehire your entire staff, um, starting from ground zero, you know, everyone on your staff gets an interview, and you'll interview some other folks, how many would make the cut? Are there people on your staff today who you would choose not to rehire? And we actually see this all the time because we do IT outsourcing. And we usually tell a hospital, look, we're going to come in, we're going to interview your folks, and we'll hire the, the ones that are appropriate um, you know, for the model that we're going to provide. And, and sometimes the hospital say, well, well, we don't want you to rehire these two. Okay, I won't, but might have been might might have pinned someone you didn't want your department in the first place. And so I I ask that question. Pretend that you've outsourced and I and I'm asking you, hey, who these people should I hire? If it's not all of them, then what are you going to do about those ones who you wouldn't consider hiring? And then take each person on your staff and ask, well, how bad would it be if this person called in rich tomorrow? I used to say how bad it would be if this person got hit by a bus tomorrow, but people thought that that was like not appropriate and, and perhaps discriminatory towards buses. So, let so say that someone wins the lottery tomorrow and calls it and says, I'm done, I'm not coming back. How bad would that be to you? And I think you might find, as many hospitals do, that you have at least one or two people that are critical. They're just as critical as, you know, some of your systems. Um, I actually did this as sort of a disaster recovery exercise uh, at a hospital one time, and we found that the most important asset was a guy named Dave, because they had an old accounting system that had been running on an ancient mainframe for 20 years, and there was one guy, it was Dave, who knew how to fix it when it broke. And if Dave called in Rich they'd have no clue where to even find someone to talk to to help them with it. And and so it's like, "Ooh, we have a people problem. Um, And that's something that needed to be addressed, whether through documentation, additional training, let's find someone else in advance, or let's modernize the system. Um, So if we go from people to processes, and the process I like to ask people about first is their change control process. Because change control, to me, is kind of the parent process. If you don't do change control well, you're probably not doing documentation well, and you're not doing uh, a number of other things well. So change control is sort of the the master process uh, when I evaluate processes. But I'm going to ask you, and we'll talk about change control more later, but let me ask you some other questions. Uh, How often do you say no? And a lot of IT departments feel like, well, you know, when the Dr. Smith complains to the CEO who comes to me, I don't really have the option to say no. And that may or may not be in your organization, but I'm still going to ask the question, how often do you say no? Because people come to IT with requests that don't make IT sense. You know, can you make this look like that? And, well, I can. That doesn't make it a good idea. Um, I, I, I would submit to you here that everyone before submitting a request to IT should have to watch Jurassic Park. And if you watch Jurassic Park, the message you get is, just because we can doesn't mean we should. And I often come to that uh, scenario where someone asks me if I can do something, and and the answer is, well, yeah, I can do it, but these are the seven reasons it's a really bad idea. So do you feel like you have the ability to say no? Uh, Have you been told no by your IT department? No needs to be part of the vocabulary. Uh, Another question to ask, what percentage of time do your team members spend on projects versus what percentage of the time they spend on just everyday operations. Now, this is going to vary from person to person, obviously. Your desktop guy is probably spending most of his time responding to people who can't log in and the printer that doesn't work. And and that's operation stuff. And and that's fine. But how about your analysts? How much of their time are they spending on projects on making the system better versus how much are they doing things that have to be done every day or every couple of days because someone has to do them? I took over an IT department in an um, in a hospital, emergency medicine billing shop about twelve fifteen years ago, and I found that my analysts and my department was mostly analysts were spending about sixty percent of their time on the day to day and about forty percent of their time on the projects and Over the first year that I worked there, we flipped that so that it was forty percent of their time on the operations and sixty percent of the time on the projects and that 's All 20% more time available to make the organization better. So ask that question, and your own folks are the best judge. But once you find out what they're doing that's operational every day, ask yourself the question, can we automate this? Or if not, is, is this the right person to be doing this, or is there someone else who could be doing it to free up my key resources to do the things I need to do? How good is your documentation? And I ask this question knowing that for most hospitals, documentation is something of a challenge. But if I walked in today and said, can you give me a network diagram? Can you give me um, a project list and your complete departmental policies and procedures? What shape would those documents be in? If I read through the policies and the policy said, okay, well, we will have the policy that we will have a disaster recovery plan, can you show me that plan? Uh, When a policy says, you know, submit this on the change control form, can you show me the form? Um, And the ability for everyone, you know, asked to be able to grab policies and procedures and for the appropriate people to have lists of networks and projects. If all that is true, then you probably have a department that's doing pretty well in its documentation. If some of those questions... The answer is it yes, and then maybe you have a challenge there. I'm also going to ask: Do all of your service requests for your IT department come into a single repository? How many requests did you get last week, uh, last month? You know, do you know? Or, well, we got 137 tickets to the service desk system, but there were also some number of people who stopped Jennifer in the hallway and asked her to do things. So, no, we don't know the total number. And. And that's a process that, if it's the case, um, is something that uh, I would recommend that you try to fix. Because having a complete record of the ch- of the changes and the requests that were made, a gives you a complete rec- record of the things you did, but b gives you a much better idea of of the health of the processes. Because you may have repeated requests to fix X, but if it never quite bubbles to the top, that you're doing thirty of these a month, then no one knows it's something they need to fix. More on the service desk function, because I think it's a very easy function to get a hold of. It's a very easy function to grab pieces of and measure them. How good are your service desk functions? Because isn't that really the public face of your department? The people who call you asking for help? Um, I mean, that's why people call IT is because they want something. Um, not, they don't ever call us to tell us what a great job we're doing. So. How solid are those service desk functions? Uh, do all of the requests end up as service desk tickets? Uh, if not, as I said earlier, you're missing, you're missing critical data about the health of your processes and which processes need your attention. Um, you've all heard the saying that measurement is important and what we don't measure, we don't do. So uh, are you measuring your service desk in specific service levels, do you have a service level agreement? Um, are 80% of your calls being answered in, say, 30 seconds or 60 seconds, whatever that agreement is you've made? Are 55% of the calls being resolved on the first call? Um, are the phone being answered 92% of the time? Are emails being responded to within an hour? Uh, those are the um, service level agreements that we pro- that we promise in our service desk, uh, and I give you them as numbers there to say, hey, this is a useful benchmark. Uh, your group may not, you, your hospital may not feel that eighty percent of calls answered in thirty seconds is, is ideal. You might feel that it's sixty seconds is fine. I'm not saying that these numbers are, are perfect. I'm simply saying that these are the ones that we. Um, that we run our service as to, and they're good, useful numbers if you don't have any other numbers to use um, you know, as a service level. Um, how's your security? So if I ask you how's your security, everyone either wants to say, oh, yeah, it's fine, it's fine, or they don't really want to talk about it because they know it's not fine. But some more uh, questions you could evaluate. When was your most recent security risk analysis? Um, hopefully, it was done within the last year because that's what uh, the meaningful use laws and what HIPAA requires. Um, but when was the most recent security risk analysis? Do you know where it is? Uh, ha- did you do it internally? Have you always done it internally? Have you ever had someone external do to give you a different opinion? I actually like this idea of having a third party do a security risk analysis every three years or five years or even alternating between a couple of outside firms to get additional opinions on, on what your risk is. Uh, when's the last time you did a port scan? um when's the last time you did an audit of your user accounts versus hr's list of employees i promise you hr is pretty good at terminating the people who no longer work here Uh, are we just as good in it at terminating the it access Uh, and i my own experience when um, working in uh, organizations where i've been asked to do this uh, is that we're not as good at it as HR. Oh, certainly if someone's being fired in an adverse termination, they're going to call us and we're going to terminate their access. But in a more routine fashion are, are people who leave the organization getting their accounts terminated, you know, in a timely fashion. Uh, some organizations are better than others. It's a good place to test the value or to test your security by something you could actually put some numbers to. Um, when's the last time you tested your backups? Uh, A lot of folks have. Oh, yeah, we're all backed up. When is the last time you tried to retrieve a specific file from that backup? Um, Hopefully it's been within the last year, uh, but it's important to do that. Uh, I worked at a hospital back in the late 1990s where um, one of the night operators noticed that a particular backup wasn't finishing every night. And that obviously wasn't a good thing. And he noticed that it was one particular directory that was causing the problem. So he excluded that directory from the nightly backups and they completed every night. Well, it turns out that directory he excluded was the one with the database in it. And so basically he just stopped the backups for the thing that was most important. And it wasn't discovered until someone needed a piece of data from there. And lo and behold, that hadn't been backed up in six months. So... Testing your backups is is just as important as having them. Are you still hosting your own email server? Because if you are, you probably shouldn't be. Uh, We recommend all of our customers use uh, Microsoft Office 365 and let uh, Microsoft host their email or let Google or Yahoo host their email rather than try to do it themselves. Uh, Too much ransomware is coming in on the email vector. And uh, it's simply difficult for a hospital to keep up with it all. It's something you definitely would be better off outsourcing to an expert. Uh, are you using an endpoint detection response solution? Uh, if you're not, you're definitely not up to speed on protecting your workstations the way you need to be. Um, and what's your standard for applying critical patches? Uh, is there is there a service level agreement? Does your network department promise, yeah, we'll, we'll apply critical patches within 24 hours or we'll apply and test within 48 hours? Um, that's something that, A, I would hope that you have a you know, a goal in mind for, and B, um, you know, that you actually meet that standard. So to the profitability side of things or to the budget side of things, you know, do you routinely delay your infrastructure projects or preventative maintenance projects because, we'll have to put that off to next year. We can't afford to do it this year. Uh, If you do, then that's probably a challenge, you know, that's causing your IT to be not As valuable to you as it could be. Uh, In fact, I I remember back when we began doing security back in uh, the 2000s, I had an analyst who would say that I could tell you your security status by asking your organization one question, were you profitable in the last three years? And if the answer is no, then invariably it was some security projects that have been pushed off. And it's just a matter of figuring out which ones. Do you, are you measuring the right thing? Do you even have a clear picture of how much it costs to provide IT services? And I think the easiest example for anyone to look at is service desk. Do you have an idea of how much it costs you to operate your service desk? So that's salaries and that is uh, software licensing costs and, you know, hardware, telephone, et cetera, et cetera. All the costs that go into operating that IT service desk. Do you know what that number is? You know, do you know if it's $10 a call, $15 a call, $20 a call? You probably should from a profitability standpoint. And the reason you should is because that's a service you can buy from somebody else. And, you know, and so, you know, exactly what it should cost to do that. And if you're spending more than that, then, you know, that may not be the most efficient use of your money. Uh, Are your activities based on business value? Now, business value is a, some, is a somewhat nebulous concept. I think we'll talk about it more in a bit, but Let's just say for now, value to the business. So are you thinking about yourselves in terms of, yeah, well, we provide a billing system, or are you thinking about it in dollars and cents? We provide a, a billing system, you know, that does XY, XY dollar claims, or this, many claims, this many, um, this many dollars. Uh, what's the health, the health of the revenue cycle? It's that business, you know, it's, that's the business, the collecting of the, of the, of the dollars. Are you thinking about it in those terms? And then finally, how resilient is your organization? This goes back to asking the question, you know, what if someone called in rich? Uh, how, what if a couple of people left you at the, you know, at the wrong time, how resilient would you be? What resources do you have to, to bridge quickly into getting something done? I know that in my own organization, it could take four to six weeks to identify and hire a good network person. What will you do in those four to six weeks? Uh, Having having a plan for that in advance, you know, is a sign of a strong, resilient organization. So business value in its broadest definition is the total estimated value that your IT functions bring to the organization. And if you've ever spent any time um, trying to calculate business value, you know that there are a lot of intangibles involved and simply there are no easy answers. So let's let's simplify the definition and say that business stands for what your customers see as their value, and value is what you get for what you spend. Now let me give you some examples that will perhaps clarify this for you. One thing that matters to your revenue cycle folks is their clean claims rate, and that is to say what, what billing claims drop directly out of the billing system and go directly to the payer and are accepted to be paid. And the reason that's important is because the ones that won't do that, the ones that drop out, the unclean claims, have to be fixed. Well, you want to do a business value calculation. How many unclean claims per hour can that biller fix? What's that biller's cost per hour? So what's the cost to fix the unclean claim? is it worthwhile to fix your edits or to fix your claim language so that you could reduce the number of unclean claims by 50%? Not, you could put a complete dollar value on that because you know what it costs to work each one of them. Um, what's the economic cost of downtime? If the system is down for four hours, you know who's not effective during those four hours? We've lost salaries. You now may have to pay overtime uh, to get caught up with the work. Uh, there's a cost of delayed billing, and then there's the frustration that everyone deals with. Uh, another example, a particular example might be, well, you've got an anesthesiologist who came in. It's his first time in a facility. He can't get logged into Cerner to be able to you know, do his anesthesia, which means the entire operating room team is standing around. You know, how much is that going to cost in the 20 minutes to the 30 minutes it took to get his password straightened out? Uh, There you could put an actual business value cost on that operation. And then let me just throw one more number there at you, because we talked about security earlier. The average organization's cost for a ransomware event is about $4.6 million. Between the work that takes to get all of your data back... And the uh, you know increase in your insurance terms, and in the amount you have to pay for credit monitoring for all those folks whose data was um, data was compromised, and perhaps some lost bills that could never be recreated because you no longer had the supporting data, so the average economic cost of ransomware at four point six million dollars. Now I tell you this. Because we talked earlier about security not being sexy. And so here's how you put a dollar value on it. You say, we had no ransomware events last year. We saved $4.6 million. I encourage you to take this concept of business value uh, and when you go through, say, your change control process, ask the question, well, what business value are we getting out of this? If we do this change, you know, what process are we making better? And how much money will be, will be saved from that? That goes a long way towards helping you get the money you need to do the project, uh, and make sure that you're measuring the right things. So one thing you know, if you've been in IT for any period of time, it's a lot of IT management, is change management. So, we now know at this point, we've asked the questions that uh, there are some areas in our IT department which are less than optimal in terms of their operations, and we need to change that and make them fully optimal. So, what do we do to lead the change? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that a good turnaround project can't be secret It's very easy to say, well, I don't want people to know that my department is bad, so I'm not going to publicize that. No, I think that's exactly the wrong approach to take. Don't try to do this in secret. Number one, because there may be times when you need folks to cut you some slack because you're in the middle of a project to fix this. And and number two, because that means they're going to hold you accountable. You need top-level support. And, and yes, I realize that every project manager will tell you, oh, we need top-level support. I think you need top-level support in the sense that there needs to be a single message that over the next 90 days, over the next 180 days, IT is fixing X, Y, and Z. And there may be times in that next six months where they have to say, we have to put something off. And you're going to need that support. You're going to need the support when Dr. Smith, the cardiologist, goes to the CEO and says, I want my system and I want it now. And it's, well, you can't have it now because we don't have the resources to do it now. Uh, that needs to be the top level support that you need. Focus on service. Focus on the fact that if your users feel that you understand them and that you're working on their problems, they're going to be a lot more tolerant. This comes back to that scenario where it could be of great value to decrease the amount of hold time on your service desk if people get to talk to someone faster. Uh, then they'll be more willing to be tolerant while you fix the problem. Think about yourself as a patient. You go into the hospital emergency room. You're there to see the doctor. You're not there to wait in the waiting room. You're not there to talk to the nurse. You're there to see the doctor. Well, if someone calls the IT department, it's because they've got a problem they need fixed, and they want to talk to the IT guy. So, focus on that customer service, on understanding your customer's needs, and they'll be more than tolerant of you while you're fixing your other problems. You have to absolutely be in a position to be able to say no to new requests and projects while you are fixing, you know, your IT issues. Now... That's not to say that um, a a particular requirement may come up. It may be time for the annual uh, updating of your CPT codes. You're going to have to do that now, but there also will be things that you want to be able to say no to. What should you tackle early in your project? Well, if you're not measuring the right things, measuring them is a good thing to tackle early. it's much easier to, to make progress on something when you have a number. Say, look, this is getting better. Um, the project operations ratio. When I took over that IT department, uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago, um, the, we were spending 60% of our time, our analysts, on operations and 40% on projects. And we switched that so that it was 60 to 40 the other way. Um, if you're spending all that time on operations and not on projects, then that's um, that's time that's not making the organization better. It's just keeping the lights on. Don't take my 60-40 as a rule, by the way. That was a target that worked for us. But you should at least think about that ratio and do that early on. Spend time during your uh, turnaround project fixing the projects you've started to finish them. How many times have you started a project and said, well, we're going to go live with this. We'll fix the interface in stage two. You know, there wasn't a stage two originally. We created one just to push this off. Did we ever get back to it and get that finished? Or do we have projects which are mostly finished but still have some uh, undone pieces? Perhaps we haven't finished the documentation. Uh, Finish the project you started. Uh, If you don't have a good change control process, and we'll talk about change control in a minute, you need to get that. If you need any people support processes, whether that's giving your folks the opportunity to go out to, uh, uh, you know, out to some users group and and participate, perhaps your service desk should be part of part of the help desk institute. Um, Then you probably should do that right away because you're letting your people know that you care about them. And that they're, it's not just, ooh, we're going to turn it around because you guys suck. No, it's, we're going to turn this around and make it better for all of us. And that includes making things better for you. So if you have people support in mind, I would tackle that early. So change control. Change control is a subject which is near and dear to my heart. Change control is a systematic approach to identifying, documenting, and then authorizing changes. Now, some of these changes will be IT-initiated changes. You know, it sort of says it's time for this next upgrade. Uh, it's time to put in the, the annual CPT code updates. Other times, there'll be business-initiated changes. Your revenue cycle director comes and says, I'm having too many, you know, dirty claims. I need help with the uh, claim editing so that I get more clean claims. Um, some requests will be for new functionality, we need a new X module, uh, some for maintenance, and, and some with a fix. Uh, so they come, changes, change requests come in a broad variety of different ways. It's important, I believe, that if the request is for new functionality, that it comes with a business case and that the change is sponsored by the business unit. At a hospital, which I've done change control, which has worked exceptionally well, we required someone from the business unit to come to the change control meeting and to make their case. And this is good for a number of reasons. Number one uh, is that it was good publicity for uh, folks to see that we actually take this stuff seriously. I think it, it's good in that you're going to want that business unit to be part of your testing strategy, and getting them laid out and committed to that at the beginning is very important. Um, and, you know, it's an educational experience to be part of a change control, uh, change control um, event, and so there's great value in that. Have them come, um, you know, to your meetings. Uh, when you're managing change, and I'm kind of... Mix and change, control and change management here, because they do kind of end up getting mixed. Think about change management as people ask you for change. So you have to evaluate that in the context of business value. Um, you have to plan the change, and this is really where it's important. So what's the strategy? How are we going to do it? How are we going to communicate that change? How are we going to test to make sure that the change is right? Is this a change that we can implement in a test environment and then you know run some test cases through? Then perhaps it's up to our business department to come up with those test cases. Or is this something that for some reason, and I hate when this happens, but that can only be tested in live? Perhaps we only have the interface in our live environment. We don't have it in our non-prod environment. And if that's the case, how are we going to test it? Um, what's the documentation going to look like? Finally, how are we actually going to do it, and what's our strategy for backing it out if it turns out not to work in production the way we expected it to? I love this planning part because this is something that often gets skipped. Um, And uh, what I find is that the change control meeting, which really should have all of your important departmental folks in the room, is a great opportunity for someone to say, wait, wait. If you change this in the ED system, it's going to break that. And something that no one else in the room thought of, is like, okay, well, how do we do this without breaking that? And then come up with a better strategy. And then to ask the question, well, who needs to know we're making this change? Some changes are kind of quiet, you know, and they're happening in the background. And the only thing that people might need to know are the people who might notice if something is wrong. Other times, it's a very visible change, a change to a nursing screen, perhaps, that you have to communicate to everybody. Well, great, let nursing education plan out what that communication strategy is going to look like. It's a very educational process when you begin doing change control and you start asking these questions. Who do we need to talk to? What else is this going to affect? How do we back it out if it's wrong? Uh, And after a few few of these meetings, people come with the answers to those questions, and it's very gratifying to see that people are now thinking about the impact of changes rather than just say, well, I'm going to cowboy my way through this. Um, And then, of course, after you've done all that, that's when you implement the change. That's when you test the change. It's important when you put a change in production that it gets validated right away, because the longer you let it go, the uh, the more expensive it can be to fix. Um, I would also ask you, as you are implementing change, at least consider outsourcing some of your business functions. Uh, some of your um, activities are well suited to outsourcing. There are specialty skills you don't need very often. Uh, Service Desk is a very easy function to outsource because uh, it, it's very easy to draw the lines around and say, well, you call this number and you'll talk to someone, and then they'll do X, Y, and Z. It's a very easy it's very easy to do. It's also very easy to do effectively because uh, I can almost certainly do your night and weekend service desk cheaper than you can um, because most hospitals especially under 500 beds simply don't have the volume to support a 24-7, 365 service desk. Uh, network and desktop support are rather easily done uh, remotely. Uh, especially the network support, uh, also patch management are keeping all your all your desktops up to date. Very easy to be done by someone remotely. Now, some might say, well, Tom, you outsource for a living. You're trying to convince me to use your services. Well, okay. I would be happy if you chose to do that. But let me also suggest to you that the slide says consider outsourcing. Even if you choose not to do it, getting a proposal from a vendor to outsource some part of your operations, or even all of them, gives you a benchmark on what levels of service to shoot for and what those services should cost. So if you call me up and say, I'd like a proposal to outsource my service desk, I'm going to ask you some questions and say, hey, to give you you this number that answers this quickly and this percentage of first call resolution and 24-7 coverage is going to cost you X. Well, now you compare that to what you've got going yourself, and you may decide to keep it in-house, but you know now exactly, for this level of service, what X should cost. And it gives you a good, a good benchmark number, you know, to work against. So I'd ask you to consider outsourcing. And I'll be fairly honest. If you call me up and say, Tom, I don't think I want to outsource, but I'd like to know what it would cost me, you know, tell me that. And I'll be glad to help you get a feel for it. Um, and maybe you'll decide after all you want to do it, and maybe you'll decide to keep it in-house, but I'll be glad to add that value by helping you understand how much it might cost That is rescuing your it department how to rescue your troubled it department realize that your own it department is doing great work even if it's troubled uh, but how to get it to um, you know a much more uh smoothly running machine uh, thanks for your time um you see my email address here on the screen i'd be happy to talk to any of you if you want to reach out and have questions